Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast, where host Cindy Radu speaks with experts on many topics relevant to the ultra-high net worth family and family office. Cindy was author and co-author of numerous articles related to trusts, family enterprises, and estate planning, and co-authored taxation and estate planning in Canada for many years. She also shares her expertise as a consultant, advisor, and educator to those in the family enterprise space. Cindy is the Chief Learning Officer of Tamarind Learning Canada, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries and their advisors to help them prepare for the responsible stewardship of wealth. Okay, welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Radu, Chief Learning Officer for Tamarind Learning Canada. Today's topic is Get It Together, Everything You Need to Know to Organize Your Estate. This topic is going to be of interest to everyone, regardless of your level of financial wealth. And I'm very excited to have Nicole Garten as our guest to share the, uh, the really amazing resource that she's created. And we'll get to have a look at that a little bit later on. I just want to introduce Nicole. She is a recognized expert on estates and trusts. And as president of Heritage Trust, she leads the fastest growing independent trust company in British Columbia, which offers executor, trustee, power of attorney, escrow, and multifamily office services. Nicole's education includes a Bachelor of Laws as well as a Master of Laws, and her LLM focus was on dispute prevention and management for family businesses. Nicole is the past chair of the Vancouver Canadian Bar Association Wills and Trust subsection, a member of the Society of Trust and Estate Practitioners, and of the Estate Planning Councils in Vancouver and Fraser Valley. So today we're talking about one of Nicole's books. She has published four books, and today we're going to dive into her re most recent book, which is called Before It's Too Late, The Estate Organizer for Canadians. And Nicole, we are really grateful to you for allowing us to share this book with, um, with our audience in PDF version. And thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Oh, thank you so much, Cindy, for asking me. So this topic, I think, is so important, um, and I'm very confident that every one of our listeners is going to have many takeaways, but I'd like to get a sense of, like, this is really the type of work you do isn't something that a lot of lawyers gravitate to, and it's very personal and emotional work. So what, what attracted you to this type of practice? Well, Cindy, I'm glad you asked me, and... I've actually never shared this before, so I will um, share with you the genesis of how I got into this area, which was uh, when I was in my early 20s, my sister and I um, unexpectedly lost our dad, and it was, um, as you can imagine, extremely traumatic time, but the other piece of it, as people that pass away unexpectedly, they're often not as organized as they would like to be in their estate plan. And as a result of um, not being as organized as it could have been, uh, it was a very um, convoluted situation with significant tax. And we unfortunately ended up losing a lot of what he had built. And the accountant who assisted us with that estate is actually Brian Doherty, who's now my business partner in Heritage Trust. 
And so that's actually the first time I've shared that. So Brian and I had that um, experience together and the genesis of Heritage Trust was to help families um, basically um, not just bounce back, but bounce forward in terms of our family and not teaching other families uh, good preventative strategies to ensure that they leave um, their legacy. And the legacy isn't just financial, it's family, it's intellectual, it's uh, philanthropic, and ensuring that everything they've worked for, um, they're able to leave to their families in an organized and efficient manner. I love that bounce forward. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I'm very privileged that you did that with us for the first time. Um, I want to move into this idea of organizing affairs. And I think there's probably quite a bit of misconception about who needs to organize their affairs. And I'm sure you've got this similar experience. Like I hear people say all the time, oh, my state's really simple, or I, we don't have that much, or our kids are going to sort it out. Um, is this something that you've experienced? And you know, how, how do you or how would you respond to people who come at this idea of estate planning and organizing their estate from this perspective? So I think people realize that they should be organized, but I think I think there's two factors preventing them. And I think number one is the natural human inclination to procrastinate things that are stressful or difficult, right? So I think, you know, um, you know, people don't necessarily want to face existential questions of uh, mortality and, you know, it feels overwhelming. And so, you know, it's just like getting your teeth cleaned or getting your, you know, car serviced or something like that. It's like something that you know you should do, but it's easy to push off to another day. So I think that's definitely a factor that all of us have probably experienced at some time. And then I think the second piece that holds people back is the um, perfection is the enemy of done. And that I think they feel like, you know, not just organizing, but also their estate plan generally. So you know, half of Canadians shockingly have done no planning at all. And you think, well, why is that? And I think I think people sometimes get immobilized because they think, well, this is so important and I want to make sure that it's exactly perfect and that prevents them from sort of the messy first steps of just getting started and getting the basics done. So I think those are the two factors that hold people back. And how, so how do you, how can we encourage them to move forward? I mean, obviously one of the tools is this, um, this book that you've, you've um, created this organization for uh, state organizers, uh, the estate organizer and how, um, what kind of conversations do you have people to say, yeah, like, let's get this started. It, it feels like a lot, but how do we actually get people taking the first step? So what I would say is something is better than nothing. So I think, um, so in the book we have, one of the chapters is what to do if time is short. So as estate planners, we all encounter when we end up having to gown up and go into the hospital ward to do deathbed wills. So, you know, some people really leave it to the, to the last minute. So um, we have a chapter, which is what do you do if time is really short and and maybe I'll just go back to the book itself. So in the book itself, it's actually a very easy read intentionally. And what we have is a um, link on one of the pages, which just has word forms. And so what you can do is download the forms onto your computer, and then you can actually just print them and write on them 
or you can actually just go into the um you know in word and just enter the information that way but we do have um you know what would you do if time was really short and i think what i would do is um there's a personal information personal info and id and then there's the digital information and i think and also just making sure you've got your bread and butter documents so a basic will, a basic enduring power of attorney. So you could go to those forms. And if you just did personal info, digital info, and just made sure you had basic documents done, that would be 100% better than nothing. And even if you did that alone, it would leave your family that much more um, ahead of the curveball, I guess you might say, if, if something did happen to you. Okay. And so what if what if you've got somebody like that, that says... Um, you know, again, our, our, our situation is so simple. My kids are going to be able to take care of, take care of everything. How do we kind of move the needle on that? Um, so I think, you know, the average, uh, North American has a hundred digital accounts, right? So I think it's like defined simple. So, you know, what is, what is your biographical data? So, you know, what is your date of birth and, the date of birth and contract information of your beneficiaries, you know, where are your important ID documents? You know, what is the login info for social media accounts so your family can access it? You know, where do you bank? Like even the most simple estate plan is gonna have that fundamental information that's gonna be critically important. You know, where is your will? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I would say, even if you think, oh, you know, it's it's really straightforward. There's still critical pieces of information that if you don't have it um, documented somewhere, then your family's going to be scrambling to try to figure it out. So this idea of, again, we kind of get our wills and our personal directives and powers of attorney, whatever they're called in the province that people live in, in place. And then I, I would think most people would say, okay, that's it. I'm done. I've got all my affairs in order. And I've told my kids that my will is in this box in the basement underneath the, you know, giant thing of paper towels from Costco or whatever it is. Um, is there a, like, why should people then go this next step? Because the workbook, which I've, I've looked at, I think it's fabulous there it's it's not a one hour project like there's there's a fair bit involved there so what really should be the motivation for getting organized in the event of possible capacity or eventual death so i think motivation number one is making sure that things are done the way you would like them to be done so there's a section after i'm gone where you can actually specify what you want. So, you know, do you want to be cremated or, you know, we actually have one estate right now where on the, on the opposite end of the continuum, she, she wants a gold um, casket. Mm. <laughs> By the way, those are hard to find. Uh, so, you know, whatever it is, that is your intention, you know, do you want an obituary? If so, what are the critical pieces of information? Or maybe you want complete and total privacy. You know, do you want a funeral or memorial and what is important? And so some, sometimes people say, um, I don't want anything. And what I say to them sometimes is, well, you know, it's not for you, right? But, you know, or, you know, we've had things where I have one where they said, you know, we want only Bob Marley played in an open bar. So, you know, whatever it is that's important to you, um, and 
you know, that, so number one, it's like, you get to determine what happens. So if you don't write this stuff down or tell anybody, or if it's not easily accessible, then, you know, something totally contrary to your wishes could occur. So that's reason number one. And reason number two is if you're not organized, your, your executor slash family members will be scrambling and stressed, right? Mm -hmm. So what I find is that particularly if, if someone passes away unexpectedly, when they come into the office, they're of course, you know, immediately in shock and grieving, but what the most immediate stress is often that we see is people are scrambling to say, you know, was there life insurance? You know, what did they want for funeral? Um, you know, where, oh my gosh, where's the keys? You know, we want to notify these critically important people, but we can't locate their contact information. Like people, the family is actually often immediately really quite stressed out about those, those scrambly things to find critical pieces of paper and information. So save, save your family that stress if you can by at least having disorganized in one place and knowing where it is. So I'd say, number one, you get what you want. And number two, you save your family from more stress and upset than they're already going to feel. So we're, we're going to dive into the book. Um, and I'm going to ask you to walk us through the, the estate organizer um, book itself. But one of the recall uh, in a prior conversation that very interesting that people probably don't think about is their pets. And um, you shared an, an interesting example about people and pets and how, how important it is to think about our furry friends. So that's actually a really good example. So if somebody dies unexpectedly and there's pets, you know, there's immediate issues. So we've had um, some scenarios where somebody died unexpectedly and and so we actually went and picked up Doggy. <laughs> so we ended up, you know, as Inheritance Trust's executors, so, you know, we're not going to take Doggy to like SBCA or for, for goodness sakes, right? So we actually take the animals right into our homes, but we're talking like immediate things like, you know, what is what is the um, particular food and when do they get it? You know, do they have medication? Where's the vet? You know, what particular person would you liked to have this dog and I mean those are critical pieces of information that we just end up guessing at and um, one of the dogs we ended up um, it was actually really nice there was a dog walker so the person was a um, really busy professional and there was a dog walker service that walked the dog and one of the dog walkers just loved the dog but that person died untested which means um, they didn't have any will and so this dog walker loved the dog and wanted to take the dog, but they didn't have a ton of money and the dog wasn't super young. So what we ended up doing was negotiating with the beneficiaries to agree that they would give $10,000 to this individual that was going to take the dog. So it ended up being okay. Like we ended up finding somebody that really loved the dog and we ended up convincing the beneficiaries to basically allocate that person funds. But, you know, they could have gone different ways. We may have had no clue. The beneficiaries might have been, you know, nasty. <laughs> so no, we had another one where um, she had two dogs, and one was just a puppy, and one was um, older and actually had diabetes and needed like shots and things like that. And 
again, there was no provision with respect to who should get the dog and there was no allocation of funds um, for the dog. And again, like you've got a diabetes elder dog. I mean, that is a huge logistical, but also financial burden. So those are, are really good examples where you know how much we love our pets and they truly are a part of our family. So just indicating who gets the animal, where the vet is, what the particular feeding or medication things are, and also making sure that there's funds set aside is, is critically important. So I'd like to dive into the resource and the proper name of it is called Before It's Too Late, the Estate Organizer for Canadians. We will have people hopefully that are interested in this that are outside of Canada. So can you just comment before we get into it uh, on its applicability in other jurisdictions? So this actually is would be useful to um, any people in other jurisdictions. There's actually a good book um, in the US, it's called, it's a NOLO print and I think it's called, um, so I can't remember the exact title, but it's very similar and the publisher is NOLO. Um, so if you're in the States, you can use that one. And, and when we do, I think the notes, I'll get the exact title and link to it. But this would actually be pretty usable for, for example, a US resident. So where, um, where we refer to RSPs, you could, um, you could just say that means 401k in the States, right? So it's actually not that different, or you could just use the NOLO product or equivalent tools in the States. But I think the first thing is, you know, you're going to create a quote binder, but it doesn't have to be paper. So you, I think there's like three options. So number one is all paper. One, number two is sort of half paper. And number three is all digital. So if you wanted to do all paper, what you would do is you, um, when we've got instructions here, you just go to Staples or your local office supply store, you, you purchase a binder. It should be pretty thick if you're going to go all paper like make sure it's sort of three or four inches thick and you're going to want to get some tabs and you're going to want to have those sheets that you can stick you know the, the clear sheets that have the whole tabs that you can stick documents in so pick up some of those and then what you could do is just photocopy the because the book actually has all the forms so, or you can even actually even just pull them out of the book if you liked and then just full punch them or you can go to the link at the front of the book where you can just print them and then you could just handwrite on the forms the forms are very user-friendly and then in each section it there's a recommendation that you have photocopies of of important documents and then at the end you can um in the plastic sleeves you can put all the original documents so it'll be sort of a one-stop shop so that would be all paper or a hybrid thing is you could um, download the forms, um, update them in Word so you're not handwriting them, and then, but then also have the original documents. Or you could go all digital, which means you could um, update the documents in Word, and then you could use a service like Dropbox or Google, for example, and then give your executor or trusted family members access to that particular document. And then what you would need to do is have a secure um, location for your original documents. So we actually recommend that you buy a small safe and you keep it in your house and you make sure that important people have the uh, access to the safe. The other options are you can use a safety deposit box 
or you could use a lawyer's fault. Um, or I'm just in practice, I'm adverse to safety deposit boxes because it's actually difficult to get into the boxes. So the bank, the banks, you know, don't make it easy. And the other thing is in the fine print, I find this actually kind of hilarious, but they don't, they don't guarantee the contents. I don't know. This is something that people don't know, but in the fine print of the safety deposit box contract, they don't promise you that, that it's secure. And, and I've had over the years, two scenarios where the box was just not there. <laughs> oh my. So, I mean, I've been practicing over 20 years, but yeah, two times that oops, it's just not there. So, I mean, there's no, it's difficult to get in and there's no guarantee. So I think, and plus you have to pay for it. So I think that's a bad option, but I mean, people should make their own decision about what they feel comfortable with. The other thing you could do is you could use a lawyer's vault. So um, we have a vault at our office, for example. And sometimes what clients do is they create their binder and they put it in a sealed envelope. And we just like, we'll, we'll often hold people's original wills and powers of attorney. And so what we do is we just stick the sealed envelope into the vault next to their will. So, I mean, the good thing is that's secure and we don't charge people, but the bad thing is, the thing is, is that you want to update this over time. And so if you have it in a lawyer's office, that's kind of a hassle. If you want to access it or, or grab some documents. And so based on that, I think the best option is to have just a small safe and stick it in your house somewhere, you know, and then just tell your beneficiaries and or executors where it is and make sure they've got the, the code. Excellent advice. I had um, just on the, the safety deposit uh, box. I actually had sent this um, your your resource here to my to a number of people, but I'm the executor on my parents' will, and uh, I was over there, and he said, "Okay, I learned so much from this that I thought I had everything in in order, but I there are a bunch of things that I've missed." And he said, "And by the way, uh, the bank or the safety deposit box uh, where the original documents was, they have closed that branch down, so it's no longer uh, the it's all it's all here at home now." So. Right. Yeah, that's another another gyration of that. Um, so what do you need to do? Like we talked about getting a binder, you go to Staples, you get your your tabs. But how do you actually like again, logistically, I think this might seem overwhelming for people. But what are some simple steps people can take to to not make it seem overwhelming? So I've got the book in front of me. So I think the first thing is you're going to decide paper, digital or in between. Um, and then you're going to go get your supplies and then you're going to figure out where you're going to store your binder. So you want to figure that out pretty soon because you're going to be collecting all your critical documents. So figure out before you get organized where the secure place you're going to store it. And then you're going to want to get started. So there's sort of two ways to do it. So, you know, the uh, Marie Kondo house organization thing, like her, her strategy, if you've ever read her book, is you're basically going to allocate a, a weekend and you're just gonna, you know, go bananas, <laughs> organize your whole house. So you could do it that way. Like you could allocate a couple of days and you could collect all your important contacts, your important and official documents, all your financial accounts and asset information, your home and vehicle info, all your ID and all your digital estate and asset info. And we actually have a form in the book that is like a checklist to get organized. You could do that and just collect it in one big pile 
and then just go for it and just create the binder from start to finish. Or another, and but some people are going to say, you know, that's just going to be horrendous and I don't have the time or I just don't want to spend like two days doing this. So the other thing you could do is, and by the way, it doesn't have to take two days, but you know, however long you want to do it. But the other way you could do it is you could just go section by section, right? So, I mean, I think that would be my preferred thing is just, you know, say, okay, if I'm going to do this over four Sundays, I'm going to do it one hour and I'm just going to just go section by section. So what we have is our sections are, you know, personal info and ID, and then is one, and then digital info is one, real estate and personal property, your financial information, your legal documents, and your sort of funeral um, information. So those would be the individual sections. So you basically decide, am I just gonna do this in one fell swoop or am I just gonna allocate it in chunks over time? And everybody has their different ways of working so you'll know yourself and, and then, what about okay oh, say go ahead so for time is short i'm just going to look go to that page which is page 93 so if time is short what we say is number one get your basic estate documents in place so a simple will a simple enduring power of attorney and a healthcare directive so get that done and and again you don't have to be fancy so i would say if you're if you're simple, which is not a U.S. citizen, nobody's First Nations, you don't have um, a blended family, which means you've got a second or third or fourth marriage. You know, you're not a um, you don't have a disabled beneficiary. You don't have a um, significant conflict. Your state is five million or less, which is the vast majority of people. If those are your circumstances, you could go, like there's an extremely good notaries. You could go to your neighborhood notary and just get a simple will, simple power of attorney and simple healthcare directive. If you tick the box of the things that I just mentioned, you should go to uh, an estate planning lawyer that specializes in this. And again, it doesn't have to be horrendous or expensive, but you want to go to somebody who has that particular expertise because it's going to save you a ton of money and time on the other side. So that was a long way to say, just get your legal documents in place, number one. Number two, I would say do the digital information because that actually is something that people really can't find. And then number three is the personal information, like a lot of the biographical data people scramble to find. If you do that, you're good. Well, I just want to ask you about will kits. What do you, what's your view on will kits? Like if somebody went to Staples or some other stationary supply store. So I don't think you can really find will kits as much anymore in Staples. Like I've actually had funny experiences where clients actually dragged themselves into my office because they couldn't find them. <laughs> they couldn't find the will kit in Staples, but you can do a lot of stuff online. So uh, there's a lot of online will providers. So what do I think about that? I mean, something is better than nothing, but and maybe if you are truly simple, like you didn't tick the boxes, it would be okay. But the reality that people should know is, you know, nobody wants to go to a lawyer because they don't want to spend the money and stuff like that. But what people need to know is like, will kits or their online substitutes now are huge sources of business for estate litigators. <laughs> so people that make boo-boos and, or don't appreciate some sort of complexity that they weren't aware of and they do a, a will kit and it's a mess are just giving money to lawyers later 
and then giving a legacy of stress, delay, and expense to their beneficiaries. So it's just, it's mostly not worth it. Like it's, and again, if you're an individual and you come to a lawyer, like a basic estate plan for a lawyer is usually like about 2000 bucks. I mean, that's not nothing, but it's in the scheme of things, dramatically less than what litigation would be. And I, I think notaries will even charge less and it's worth, it's worth the minimal, and I, I'm not discounting $2,000 for this, a lot of money for people, but it is it is worth it to get it done properly in terms of saving expense, delay, and potential conflict later for your family. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to talk a little bit as well about digital assets. So this is something that I think is, well, number one, there's the passwords part of it, but there's also... Um, yeah, like photos, people don't realize the full range of what would be in that category of digital assets. So can you expand a bit more on, on that for us? So let's talk about digital assets. So um, like there's there's things that are digital, digital assets themselves, which are um, like important photos or crypto, or if you've got, if you own like URLs and things like that, like those are actual digital assets, but then there's digital information, which is like the log on to like get to your brokerage account, for example, right? So, but, and then, or the log on to get into like Facebook, for example. So let's, let's sort of delineate those two things, but like a lot of like other, so one of the things I would say is every, every digital company has their own procedure for what happens if people become incapable or pass away and it's actually quite um, complex and and difficult to actually get in so one thing that you'll if you look at the book or if you read about this online is a lot of the digital companies now have legacy contacts so for example Facebook now called Meta, Google, Apple you can actually go in and um, if you go into their settings and um, yeah, the book has how you get into it, but for all of those entities, you can actually appoint a legacy contact. So if something happens at LinkedIn, similarly, if something happens to you, then somebody has control of the account. People often get really, really upset about not being able to access these digital um, or social media accounts. And like, I've had disconcerting things where you know, there is um, a professional that I was very close to and obviously nobody can get into his LinkedIn because I just got a notification, congratulate him on 20 years at this company and he passed away eight years ago of cancer. Like it, it's disconcerting not to be able to access these accounts. So, um, so number one, do that. But the other thing is like photos, for example, are often deeply um, valuable to families and you know, you don't like if you can't get into Facebook, like you, that's it. Like you, you don't get those critical family um, photos, which is often the most important thing. And so one of the things we say is that just identify what the most important photos are and then download them into um, some sort of hard drive that you control because you don't want to have your critical family memories controlled by some company. And then the other thing is, um, you know, I think with older people that have passed away, we've been able to reverse engineer their finances and information generally okay. So 
if older people pass away, we can go into their office and they're often, and this is a stereotype, but um, they're often still more paper-based. And so we can basically go into their files, redirect their mail, and basically figure out where they bank and things like that. But, you know, some people have passed away in their 50s. And that is, we have um, an estate where there's a significant amount of um, assets in, in Bitcoin and we don't have the key. So we just cannot find the key. So we've hired very expensive IT people to basically comb the um, laptop and a computer to see if we can find it. And also, um, you know, a lot of people bank online and there is no paper record. And so the reality is that you could end up like not finding like critical assets. So we have one estate where um, somebody tragically passed away. And so what we're doing right now is like, she was only in her late thirties. So what we do now is we're doing, we've got a address of every financial institution that we're aware of. And we do a sort of blanket mail out with a death certificate. And we found like $8,000 at CIBC that nobody knew anything about, but you know, there's, in, there's all kinds of online banks where they often offer high interest rates and things like that. And your family might not find that information. So I would say number one, make sure you protect your photos. Like not that many people have sophisticated digital assets and not themselves, but almost everybody has photos. So protect those. Number two, appoint a legacy contact for those social media accounts. So somebody can go in and, and turn your page into a memorial page or close it, whatever your, your wishes are. And number three, make sure that you're, um, you've got like a list of what your online accounts are and that the um, the username and password are. And one thing I should mention is it's actually technically a breach of almost every user agreement to actually give your username and password. So if you at least say where it is, you know, if it's TD or RBC or BMO or whatever it is, just say, you know, I've, I'm with, you know, TD direct invest or whatever it is, just make sure you disclose that. And then your executor was actually technically not allowed to log in, by the way, but at least they know about it so they can um, notify that organization and, and at least get access that way. And is that the same with power of attorney? How does that work with power of attorney documents? Similarly, right? So the power of attorney would, again, you're technically as POA, you're not actually supposed to log into the financial institution using the username or password. I know people do, and I'm not judging them, but it's technically against your user agreement. So what you're supposed to do is, you know, get an eternal certified copy of the POA and your ID, get it to the bank, and then they'll get you access that way. Excellent. Nicole, our time has uh, quickly gone by. We could talk probably for another hour, I'm sure. Um, can you just, if you have a, one or two key takeaways for our listeners that you'd like to share? So I think roughly, roughly done is 100% better than not done. So just like the basics, honestly, you're like so much further ahead than doing nothing. And, and then I would say, like there is research that people that have undone tasks or live in messy environments, like if you measure their cortisol, it's actually higher. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's sort of like life with those sort of annoying tasks that you, you know, you should do, but you put off. 
once you actually do it, you're going to feel more clear and in control. Like once you organize all your personal and financial information and documents in one place, you're going to feel more organized and in control. And then you're also going to know that you're not leaving sort of a mess for people um, and important people. And so I would argue that that's going to free up your mind space to, to for what really matters, which is being present and enjoying your life and focusing on whatever it is that gives you meaning. So I would say, yes, it's annoying. And, you know, who wants to like spend their Saturday organizing financial paperwork like nobody or nobody normal. <laughs> so, but on the other side of it, not only are you making it better for your family, but I would argue it's better for you too. Well, I think that's a perfect note to end this um, chat on. And I'm really just so grateful that you shared your time with us on this Tamarind Learning Podcast. I, as I mentioned, have personally shared this, your book with family, friends, and clients with tremendously positive feedback. So I encourage everybody to um, either download a copy or where can they buy a copy if they prefer the hard copy, Nicole? So you can buy it on Amazon. Okay. So it's uh, Amazon and just go to Before It's Too Late and you'll find it. Excellent. Well, thank you so very much. And I uh, look forward to hopefully having another chat with you at some point in the future. Thank you so much, Cindy.